0: Namo Bhagavato Arhato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo tasā Bhagavato arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo tasā Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Buddhaṃ Dhammaṃ Saṅkhaṃ Here at the monastery, but there's definitely now the feeling of late summer. I was coming out of the sala this morning, walking towards the bico vihara, right behind Ajahn Pasanal. Or sorry, Ajam Lempurviyadamo. <laughs> Too many Ajahn's in my life. And uh, we both stopped to watch this squirrel. Uh, which is, you know, this is our entertainment. Uh, The the squirrel was up in the tree, apple trees. The apples are ripening right now. So we have bushels and bushels of apples, and they're starting to fall out of the trees. And uh, the deer are coming in the evenings and the mornings and kind of vacuuming up all the fallen apples. And so this, this red squirrel was up in the apple tree um, cutting an apple down, so he cut down an apple, and the apple fell on the ground. And then it immediately ran down the tree, grabbed the apple, picked it up, and the apple's like the size of his head. You know, it's like this huge apple compared to the size of the squirrel. And he gets it up in the air, and then he screws across the grass and goes up a pine tree. Gets about six feet up in the air, and then starts eating this gigantic apple. It's like watching a child eat a eat a pumpkin or something like that. It's just so big and he's just you know (laughs) eating this apple and made me so happy to see him you know enjoying his apple um but it it also uh several kind of dhamma themes were coming to mind you know like he's he's in an apple tree in the first place um there's all these apples and but he wants the one that he picked and when he goes and gets it he can't just go back up the tree that he was in he actually has to go to his tree because there's like one particular tree that belongs to him. And he's not comfortable eating the apple some other place. He has to go back to his tree. So in the animal realm, the same sort of um, psychic forces are at play. The animals are, they get hungry, they're, they're driven by their, their, uh, the needs of their bodies, central desire. Now, he could have eaten some pine cones, but he likes apples better. Uh, I mean, they all like apples. Uh, the deer are giving up eating a lot of stuff in order to scarf down tons of apples. So it's, uh, it's obviously a treat that they relish. And so, I, you know, it's hard not to sort of think that they're looking forward to them as they're watching the apples ripen as the season comes along. Uh, it made me think of this this uh, really powerful sutta uh, that uh, I quite admire. One of my favorites, of course, I have a lot of favorite suttas, but this one's in the Anguttara Nikaya. Um, I can't remember the, exactly the the title of it. It's it's uh, it's called "Rooted," and it has to do. It's it's uh, in the tens, and, and there's ten things. And the Buddha asks the monks, um, "Tell me monks, when you are uh, encounter um, recluses and ascetics of, of different uh, uh, different types people who practice differently than you, and they ask you questions like this and um, what in what are all things rooted?" Uh, what is their origin? What is uh, by what are they headed? Um, what is their chief? What is their master? What is what's the what is their cause? So when they ask you these kinds of questions, how will you answer? And uh, the monks go, as they often do when the Buddha asks this kind of a question, they say, um, uh, "We have." Uh, we we take the the Buddha as our teacher. Um, we would really love to hear the Buddha explain uh, the meaning of this these statements that have been made in brief. Uh, you know, what are things rooted in? Whatever you say, uh, we will listen attentively and we will uh, remember it. So the Buddha says, "Okay, listen, listen up." And uh, the first thing that he says is, um, "All phenomena." He doesn't really say all things. He says all phenomena is rooted in desire. When I first came across that, I was uncertain about how true it was. It's probably good to, to just not take these things at face value and just assume that because the Buddha said it, that it must be true. Uh, generally speaking, he he uh, encourages his practitioners to verifying for themselves whether this is actually true or not. So he says, all phenomena are rooted in desire. And then he goes on in this to say, all phenomena, I think, are, have, have contact as their origin and uh, all phenomena converge on feeling. And, he, and then he, he expands on this, this theme. But really, my mind keeps going back to the very first part where he says, all phenomena are rooted in desire. This is the kind of thing that when the Buddha says it, if it sounds a little cryptic or if it sounds like probably it's true um, and you find it intriguing, uh, I mean, just to entertain the, the thought that all phenomena are rooted in desire. Rather than all phenomena are rooted in uh, the four elements, or all phenomena are rooted in uh, biology, or or some other thing, right? There's lots of philosophical stances that one could take. And the fact that the Buddha is so careful with his words, he doesn't say all things uh, are rooted in desire. He says all phenomena. And that's actually what we experience when, we, when we're experiencing the contents of the mind. So when, you were, when we were meditating earlier, you had your eyes closed, and you were scanning through the body looking for uh, sensations that you could identify as, as hardness. In a way, the fact that you want you're, you're inclining the mind towards seeing hardness makes it possible for you to see it. Otherwise, it doesn't seem like hardness to you. You, you, you frame it some other way. So, uh, and, and this thing that we're calling hardness or softness or liquidity or movement, all these sensations are, uh, they're happening in the mind. It seems as though they happen in the body, but really it's our mind that knows them. So you can see they're happening in the mind and as such they're not a thing Um, they're very dynamic so they're they're a phenomena so really that's all we ever experience are phenomena We experience the phenomena of, of waking up in the morning and eating breakfast and um going going about our day we all the people places and things that we encounter um our minds frame them as things as you know our minds create this this idea of a noun of a persistent entity which Uh, exists whether we're paying attention to it or not. And that's very useful as a convention, for sure. But experientially, in in direct moment-by-moment experience, what we're actually experiencing are what we're calling sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touches, and the mind's reaction to these things. And these are all phenomena. they're, They're arisings and passings away. And it's only when the mind decides to make something out of them. So, for example, um, if there's a lot of things happening in your visual field, um, you're not really seeing anything until you decide to pay attention to something. So if I have all these people in my gallery here, if I lock my eyes onto one of them, then I'll be able to see who it is and I'll recognize that person and uh, thoughts will arise in my mind about that person if I know them. And, uh, but even though that the photons from the screen were hitting my eye all along, it's not until I put my attention there that the phenomena of person arises in the mind. So um, when the Buddha says that all things are rooted, all phenomena are rooted in desire, he's talking about this aspect of our experience, the, the, the chief aspect of it, which is that uh, phenomenologically, there's just these uh, occurrences of sensory contact. So he says they have. The, he says all phenomena have their origin in contact. So without contact, of course, there isn't there isn't the arising of phenomena in the first place. But the the uh, the idea that things are somehow rooted in desire is a little harder to maybe see, so I've hinted at it a little bit, and, and I I'm just going to maybe say a few things about it because it's it's really something that's important for us to see for ourselves. So, um, my squirrel story, you know, the the seeing the squirrel, seeing the apples, the the seeing the squirrel kind of scurry across the grass, and feeling the the sense of delight or uh, enjoyment at this this entertaining. Uh, sight of the squirrel um, It's my desire for the pleasure of that contact that's directing my attention in that direction so uh, attention is involved the feeling of pleasure is involved um, the, um, the Contact the, the, the actual sensory contact of, of seeing the forms and the shapes and the movement. These are all part of uh, phenomena arising but really, without the desire to see it, without the desire to attend to it, without the desire for pleasure, without the desire or the drive or the motivation, um, you know, desires in Buddhism, desires is a big word. It covers a lot of ground. It doesn't. It doesn't just mean um, maybe the craving to to eat ice cream or to to uh, enjoy a uh, a movie or something like that. Um, it it really has to do with almost like our uh, chief motivation to do things to be to exist uh, is somehow or another part of this thing that the Buddha calls desire um, and it's important for us to be able to see this in our own practice in order to really understand what what he's talking about when he says that all things are rooted in desire for um, there's a, a, a certainly a commentarial interpretation of the sutta. Uh, where the commentarialists point out that if uh, if you get reborn in another life, the context and situations that you find yourself born into and the fact that you're born at all is because you're still clinging to existence in the human realm. And so the mind gets reborn again. So if you're, if you're thinking about it in terms of rebirth, you can see that there's this fundamental desire to be, to exist, uh, and maybe to exist under particular circumstances that drives uh, one existence after another. That's a little more speculative. Maybe we can't see that. Maybe maybe we can't recollect our past lives and see the desire that connects one to, the, to another. But we can do that in this life. We can look at um, all the things that we've done, uh, the, the um the career that we pursue, the activities that we engage in, the kinds of conversations that we have, the places that we go, the food that we eat, the clothing that we wear, and discern the various ways that our, our motivation, our, um, our, our various kinds of drives could be characterized as desire. Desire is a very kind of neutral term because it, it, it also applies to those things that we push away, those things that we don't want. You could think of it as like negative desire, the desire for things to stop bothering you. So uh, the desire to not see something unpleasant or uh, to hear something ugly. Um, So so desire is actually a a two-way street. It's kind of a pushing and a pulling. And it's it's this, uh, this, this gesture of the mind to... Uh, reach out into the world and grasp at things, or to push things away from experience that that, that aren't wanted. Um, they're both being driven by by feeling. So we, you can see there's this very very uh, intimate linkage between the feeling of pleasure, comfort, security, familiarity, um, uh, safety, uh, anything that's kind of positive. Uh, you know. Um, Warmth, entertainment, anything like this. So, me seeing the squirrel and paying a lot of attention to the squirrel, this is this is coming. The, the desire that's behind it is rooted in the, the or ha- is connected to the pleasurable sensations of seeing something cute. Um, and for sure, I could think of plenty of examples of things that I don't want to look at. Um, uh, say, there's a and this this happens fairly often at the monastery. Um, some uh, unfortunate animal transaction takes place at night and we come out in the morning and there's something there in the grass that we prefer not to see. Um, so the, the tendency to look away is, again, driven by desire. It's, it's part of that motion of, uh, uh, of uh, contact giving rise to the phenomenon of seeing and then desire driving the attention so if we're not aware of this process happening, if we don't see it happening in our, in our own minds, you can, you can perceive, you can get how it's possible to, to go through many, many hours, days, weeks, years, months, maybe a whole lifetimes, just being driven by desire, just having the mind's desires drag your attention here and there and yonder, and never really um, recognize what it is that's happening. So, all the people in our lives all the um, all the circumstances of our of our living are coming out of our, our karmic the karmic forces that are manifesting in the present moment, and the way that we navigate through these things is being driven for the most part by our desires. sometimes circumstances impose themselves on us, and we have to put up with things that we don 't like or sometimes we 're uh, practicing and our mindfulness is really strong and we see desire rising and passing away. And we see it, see it as merely another phenomena. And then our experience of life is a little different. We're not just being driven by desire, but the phenomenon even of um, meditation has a kind of skillful desire in it. So the Buddha is not condemning desire when he, when he points this out. He's merely pointing out that this is the, the, uh, the truth about our human existence, everything that we experience phenomenologically, whether it's the skillful states of uh, you know, wholesome intention or meditation, uh, generosity, mindfulness, all these things are rooted in desire. We have to have this, this kusala desire, skillful desire for these things to come about, for them to manifest as phenomena in our experience. And by the same token, everything that's unskillful. So, uh, um, uh, cruelty, uh, unkindness, uh, harshness, condescension, uh, insulting, um, greed, any kind of gre- uh, grasping or greedy, uh, grabbing at things in the world, um, uh, any type of uh, unwholesome state that the mind can get into the mind only gets into it because there's some kind of desire that takes the mind towards that phenomena. So when we see that desire is this neutral uh, force that pushes the mind around, um, the Buddha also points out that we have some, uh, we have some control over it. We're not just victims of desire. All we really have to do is become aware of this mechanism and then we can start to to, uh, use it to our advantage. And that is exactly what it is that the Buddha teaches. When we see that up until now, all this time we've been, as it were, uh, something like the victims of desire. Uh, You know, our desires have arise and they push the mind around, and we find ourselves doing things. Uh, Some of the things are more or less neutral, but some of the things are are unwholesome. Pretty much everything that we've ever done in our lives that we regret. That we look back on and with a sense of uh, uh, shame or wishing that we hadn't done that, uh, wishing that we had held our tongue and not spoken harshly or uh, wishing that we had uh, said something kind, been more, more uh, forthcoming with uh, uh, the gift of kindness to another person or um, had uh, um, not said or done something that we did actually say or do. Anytime when we look back in our life, we can see, we can sense that there was some kind of desire uh, behind those actions. So when we when we recognize this, uh, we're, we're we're empowered empowered in our practice, right? Because desire itself is just another phenomenon. It's almost like we have a desire to experience desires. Uh, this is uh, you can go to a, down a bit of a rabbit hole here. You have to be careful, but the point is that. Uh, you can have the desire to desire the wholesome. And that's something that like any other desire, if you feed it, it will get stronger. So the desire to conduct yourself skillfully, uh, to only allow the mind to dwell on wholesome topics, to speak only uh, when there's something appropriate to say, to speak skillfully, uh, to uphold the five precepts, to... Um, to uh, take on the Buddhist practices of, of the Eightfold Noble Path. Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. It takes desire to do that. It's not, it's not easy. It doesn't happen by itself. So the, the phenomena of the Eightfold Noble Path um, growing and blossoming in your own life is rooted in desire as well. So when you understand that all things are rooted in desire and that desire is uh, desire itself is, is part of this causal cycle. um, Then you can use your desire for the good uh, for the truth and for uh, the happiness of liberation. You can use that desire to fund, as it were, to, 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 um, Seed or to fertilize or water, the desire to do the the work, the discipline, and the attention that that's necessary to fulfill the Buddha's pra- uh, path of awakening. So a little a little line like that: all phenomena are rooted in desire. Um, can be a, a, like a, a, a constant companion for a long time. Um, when you start to analyze your life in terms of the, of that teaching uh, until you really see how true it is, how deep it goes, how thoroughly, how thoroughly, how much coverage it has, right? This isn't a trivial point at all. The Buddha is pointing to the very root cause of everything that's happening in our lives. Um, it's somehow or other connected with desire. So you're, you're one of the, the challenges of, for a Buddhist practitioner is when you hear a teaching like this, to, to see if it's really true, not just believe that it's true, but to actually verify for yourself. This is the, the difference between um, studying the Dhamma and practicing the Dhamma. When we study the Dhamma, we do things like we read suttas, uh, we listen to Dhamma talks, we have Dhamma discussion with our friends, um, and we're, we're, we're building a, a vocabulary and a, a set of mental tools that allow us to analyze our experience. And if that's as far as we went, well, that would be, that would be very nice. It's not, it's not bad to study the Dhamma just because it's a beautiful thing to study. But of course, that's not the whole job. That's only part of the work. The Buddha calls awakening, he, he often characterize it, it characterizes it with the terms uh, knowledge and vision. So knowledge and vision are uh, important. It's, it's dis- distinct in Buddhism. It's different than the ordinary knowledge and vision, the way that we think of it when we first hear those words. So you think of knowledge as something that you learn in school or that you learn from experience. You have uh, various things that you've picked up through the years and so you know how to drive a car uh you know your friend brian you know um uh, you know toronto right you've been there so you know it this kind of knowledge is not what the buddha is talking about it's a little bit like the difference between um uh say the say the the television says the weatherman says that it's it's snowing in ottawa right? So, you know, Weatherman's a pretty reliable source of information. He says it's snowing. Okay. Now you know that it's snowing in Ottawa. You've heard him say it. But that's different than going out your front door and seeing it snow, right? When the snow is like falling right in front of you, there really can't be any debate. There's no doubt. There's no need for further discussion. You don't even have to verbalize it to yourself. It's happening right in front of your eyes. This is this is the knowledge of vision. This is knowledge and vision arising of the fact that it's snowing in Ottawa. Because you're in Ottawa and it's snowing. And you, see, you see it for yourself. When you're seeing it for yourself, then you actually have this kind of what the Buddha calls true knowledge. It's knowledge that you've gained for yourself on account of your own efforts to see things. Now, if you, if you hear that it's snowing and you don't care, you're not gonna go out your front door to verify that it's true. Um, so the, the, the Buddha, when he's teaching us, uh, he's using words and concepts and phrases and, and uh, uh, all kinds of special uh, lists that help us remember what he taught us. And so our knowledge, when we, when we learn it that way, is kind of a, a, an unconfirmed or a, um, an unfulfilled knowledge. So it's not until we actually go out the front door and look for ourselves and see whether it's true. Is it snowing? Then we'll know, and you know the Buddha. The Buddha is almost never going to scare you wrong. Uh, in fact, I think the only time that that it seems as though the Buddha gets it wrong is only when we don't really fully understand what he means, or we don't understand what the, the teaching is pointing to. Uh, but the 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 key elements of what he's teaching, uh, things that are so central to our existence, like all phenomena are rooted in desire, that's something that's um, well worth your time to investigate, to see whether it's true. And when you're seeing whether it's true or not, you can't just like sort of look once or notice it once and figure that the job is done. When it comes to knowledge and vision, someone who's fully fully accomplished in the practice uh, is spending much of their time acknowledging phenomena in their experience as arising and passing away. They're seeing a Nietzsche, uh, impermanence or uncertainty happening in real time. They're seeing anatta happening in real time. They're, they're recognizing the, the uh, aspect of unsatisfactoriness that characterizes all phenomena. And this these are other aspects of all phenomena. And when, it, when the mind is motivated to do one thing or another, to grasp at any kind of phenomenon, uh, the practitioner recognizes the desire that's behind that. So, so fully, fully uh, mature practice includes periods of time um, when you're practicing, where you're seeing, you're having this kind of knowledge and vision of the way things are, that uh, the the three characteristics that characterize all phenomena, dukkha anicca anatta, is um, true and real time, and also this phenomenon of uh, these aspects of things like. Uh, contact uh, being the origin of all phenomena, feeling being the, the director of phenomena, perception being the consolidator of phenomena, um, mindfulness being the boss of phenomena. These are all aspects of the sutta uh, that I mentioned earlier on uh, in the Ngutra Nikaya, in, what's it called? Rooted, yeah. So the Buddha gives us a lot of different things, a lot of different ways that we can frame experience or that we can, ex- we can investigate experience. So it's not the case that, that in order to be a good Buddhist or a good practitioner, that you have to spend the rest of your life noticing that everything's being motivated by desire. But it is quite worthwhile and part of practice to, to dig deeply enough into your experience for a long enough period of time to dispel any possibility of doubt about this truth. So then, then you really know it for yourself because you've really seen in your own experience that everything that's arising one way or another, uh, the mind has some kind of desire for or against everything that's coming up. And uh, when, you're, when you're doing that, whether you're successful today or successful next week or next year, it doesn't really matter. You're putting in the effort to try to see things the way they are. Um, and if that particular practice, so, so what I'm suggesting is a practice, uh, spend Um, your next meditation session or part of your next meditation session once the mind is calmed down. Spend part of it looking and reviewing uh, your experience to see whether or not uh, you can notice the desire behind uh, the phenomena that the mind attends to. Um, You don't have to do it 724, but maybe spend a little bit of time seeing whether it's true. And then ask the question, is there anything that's not like that? Is there any phenomena that isn't, doesn't seem to be rooted in desire as a way of sort of trying to falsify, if you will. Uh, so that's one of the best ways to prove something is to try to falsify it. If you can't find any exceptions, eventually you, you come to accept that it's just universally true. But for a long time, when we start looking into one of these phenomena, uh, part of the mind doesn't want to believe it because the implications are pretty radical. Uh, in, in truth, the, very, the, the self that we think we are, the personhood that we think that we're possessed of, is rooted in desire. And to see that something is merely rooted in something else deprives it of its, of its uniqueness, of its uh, standalone quality, of its being somehow separated from all other phenomena. When all phenomena are rooted in desire, then no phenomena has some sort of special place. In the center of everything, so so even th- this teaching, when he's talking about how all phenomena are rooted in desire, uh, comes around back towards and intersects with the other t- aspects of the teaching, which are bringing us to this realization that um, uh, of the four noble truths, basically that uh, 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 there is unsatisfactoriness, Insatisfactoriness is driven by craving. Craving and desire obviously have something really close in common with each other. With the cessation of craving comes the cessation of suffering, and the way to do that is the Eightfold Noble Path. So uh, this is another one of these amazing uh, teachings in the suttas where the Buddha says uh, a a bunch of stuff to the monks. The monks promise to to remember it. Um, One or two aspects of it might uh, intrigue you, And as you start to follow it and try to see it in your own practice, you'll see how uh, almost holographically it will just illuminate every other aspect of the path. So you'll see that somehow um, the fact that if all things are rooted in desire, to see that perfectly clearly, if you could see it all the way the complete truth of it all the way to the bottom, the mind would be free. It's the same thing as seeing the four noble truths. It's the same thing as becoming enlightened is to see the, the, the depth of the truth of all phenomena are rooted in desire. Uh, and what the alternative to that uh, might be uh, is the thing that uh, reveals a different world to the mind. So there's a couple of things to think about. I'll leave you with that for the moment. And we'll, uh, we have a little bit of time for questions and answers.